Well, good morning, church. Lame. Good morning, church. What a great day with the little kids, right? So if you are kind of new to this process, I'm Alan Jackson, and I am the current senior pastor here. And the process that we are doing is not I go away and we wait a long time for a new guy to come. We're calling it succession, which means that I'm going to stick around until somebody gets here and gets comfortable to make sure that the church doesn't have a, an abrupt break in leadership. And so uh, we're not going anywhere. We're glad to be around. Uh, I thank you for the, the, the kind words. And now I really need to do a confession on behalf of most pastors in America uh, our series is Easter People, and today is the least favorite day for any pastor in America, daylight savings time, and we're moving towards the favorite day of most pastors in America, Resurrection Day. We go from this time when we, uh, we really hope our government will get it together and stop this incessant time change, but that's uh, for you to write your congressman. Easter people. We have talked about Lazarus, and Lazarus was a person that Jesus met on his way to the cross, and that's, that's what this whole thing is about, right? We're, we're, we're looking at lives of people that Jesus encountered in his last week here on earth as a human prior to the crucifixion. Over the course of the time, we'll look at Nicodemus and Thomas. We'll look at the disciples at the Last Supper. We'll even look at Barabbas. We'll look at the Roman centurion who was at the foot of the cross. We'll look at the disciples after Easter and, and, and how they were changed by the resurrection story. But today we have a, a kind of interesting guy, and it's a guy that probably most of you have never heard of. His name is Malchus. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I, I don't know that we've ever done Malchus in vacation Bible school. Don't know why we would. What I want to do this morning is talk a little bit about the word transformation. Easter People is a series that's not so much about, let's look at the cool things about this person's life. Let's do a little biographical study of, of this person's life. Let's, fun facts about Lazarus. He was dead, now he's not. Fun facts about Nicodemus. He, he struggled to believe because of his position in leadership. Fun facts about Barabbas. His, his mercy was undeserved and unrequested. Fun facts about Thomas, the doubter. We, we could do that, but what we're really interested in is the encounter that they had with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about Lazarus being uh, uh, transformed by a voice, a voice that called him out of death and into life, told him to shed his grave clothes and, and get on with life. Derek had such a great line in the video. I, I hope you guys saw it. Jesus sets us free, but it's our habits that keep us free. Transformation, there is a, a part that we play in it. So transformation, when Jesus touches us, we have to leave our preconceptions behind. All of us bring stuff into church. 
And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Some of you brought opposition into church, right? Maybe, maybe not today, but certainly in your early days of checking out church, you, you, you had a, a way of doing things and it probably didn't include God. And you, you brought that opposition in with you. Some of you bring church hurt in with you for something has happened in the past and a, and a church, maybe this church even, has, has hurt you. There's, there's something that's gone on that, that, that you felt like you were judged or you felt like you were singled out or you feel like you were unfairly accused, that the, the church hurt you. Very, very common for people who are, who are maybe not connected very well in the faith. Maybe you brought anxiety about something, a job, a relationship, a family issue. Maybe, maybe you brought something in with you, and there is just this sense that transformation is needed, that, that a, a touch is needed. There, something needs to change. Well, that's what the story is all about, and I, I don't want to apologize, but it's a little different today because I'd like to read the whole story and then I'd like to go and make some observations about the story. And here's the challenge. In each of those observations, it's not necessarily connected as this happened, then this happened, then this happened. These are just things that happened in the story. And what I wonder is if you might find yourself in it. If there might be a word about prayer or a word about transformation or a word about uh, uh, looking for a fight or some kind of a word where you might find yourself a nugget, a takeaway that might be helpful. So this particular story is found in several places. Really interesting to me that last week we talked about Lazarus being raised from the dead, and that only shows up in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the ones that we call the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic Gospels because they are a synopsis of what happened. Those three were interested in what happened. John was interested in why it happened. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of them mention this story of Malchus. Now, John is the only one that names him. He's the only one that, that tells us who it was and, in fact, who it was that attacked him. So I want to read the story from John's gospel, John chapter 18. John chapter 18, if you want to read the other three, it's in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, but we're going to focus here. Now, verse 1, chapter 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, what words? All the words that he spoke at the Last Supper, that was immediately before this. He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, uh, east of Jerusalem is a, a valley that uh, so Jerusalem is a city that's built kind of on a hill, and, and there's a fall by, on the eastern side of it to a valley, and then it rises again in a hill that's called the Mount of Olives. So on the eastern side of Jerusalem, Jesus would have gone out the eastern gate of the city, and he would have gone down this little valley and then to a place at the base of the hill called the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means olive press. So it was a grove of olive trees. Uh, the, the, the press part is that the most valuable part of an olive is the oil. 
uh, it's not to put in a glass, it's to squeeze it and get the oil out of it, which is really interesting because some uh, commentators have observed that the Garden of Gethsemane was the place where Jesus' spirit was crushed. And so the olive press, he, he took them to this place. He, he'd been there often. Now, verse 2, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew this place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Oh, my. Then Jesus, knowing that all that would take place, he came forward and he said, Whom do you seek? They answered, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. If, uh, if you have kind of studied some in the Old and New Testament, you, you know that one of the names that, that for God is just the verb, I am. And so when Jesus said, I am he, he was equating himself with God, even in the introductions. <clears throat> that caused some of the soldiers to, to pause. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell on the ground. That, that name was so holy. And he asked them again, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus. And he said, I'm he. If you seek me, let these men go. Let the disciples go. There's no need for them to be harmed. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom I gave, you gave me, I have lost not one. Here's the part for today, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, and he, again, he's only named here, um, tangent, pardon the pastor. John was written a lot later than the other ones. So Matthew, Mark, Luke were probably written 30 years before John was written. And so when those were written, it probably would have indicted Peter. He was still alive. By the time that John wrote his gospel, Peter was no longer alive. And so he could be named as a person who attacked a Jewish official without fear of harm. So Simon Peter, having the sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Remember that word, the cup. It's going to come into play in just a minute. Easter people, we're talking about transformation. Watchman Nee said, the God who can change a sinner into a Christian by giving him his life can equally transform the fleshly Christian into a spiritual one by giving him life more abundantly. Most of the people that Jesus spoke to, most of the people that he touched, most of the people that he healed, most of the people that he called out, we have a record in Scripture that they were changed spiritually. They were not only touched, they were transformed. They were not only touched, they were transformed. They had a transformation that was a, a partnership, so to speak. Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, he said that, that holiness or, or discipleship is like a partnership relationship with God, and it's a lot like farming. The, God, the farmer cannot do what God must do, and God will not do what the farmer should do. 
that there's a partnership that goes on. And so when Paul wrote about transformation, he said, don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't, don't just follow along with the ebb and flow of everything that's going on, but, but think in spiritual terms. If he has touched you and you've let him transform you, then your mind is being renewed. Back to what Derek said, Jesus set us free. Our habits keep us free. That, that transformation that's ongoing. So he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, by proving, by discernment, you can prove, you can show, you can demonstrate the way God works, the will of God. So there's, there's a partnership with transformation. And that's important for you to grab onto. Maybe that's the first nugget. You can be touched by God without allowing yourself to be transformed by God. And that's the case of Malchus, or at least I believe it is. Let's look a little bit more of the story, but first I need to talk about a, a detail. And this is one of those nuggets that may help you. When there's chaos all around you, Maybe all the stuff I talked about that you brought in with you, perhaps some anger about the church, maybe, maybe you had some bad experiences, maybe you felt like you were manipulated, maybe you did, uh, there was a, a preacher you didn't like or a Sunday school teacher that was just mean. Maybe, maybe you had a bad experience. Maybe, you, maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you are, are among those who, who ridicule faith. You know, if that's what helps you get through the day, that's, that's, that's good. Karl Marx called it the opiate of the people. Uh, maybe there's some pain that you have, anxiety, depression. There's family issues. There's job issues. Whatever it is you brought in, it's chaos, right? It's, it stirs up your spirit, it causes palpitations of the heart. It, it, it makes you nervous. And so what do you do with it? Well, Jesus knew in his spirit that he was going to the cross. He, he gave us a lot of breadcrumbs about that in the earlier stories. He, he knew he was going to the cross. And so he knew he had to pray to get his mind right for the problems, the suffering that he was about to have. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe that prayer very differently than John does. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three describe an episode where Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane with all the disciples, and he asked three of them to come pray with him. Luke describes it this way. He came and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. So far, it aligns with what we read a minute ago. And the disciples followed him, but when he came to the place, he said, I need to pray first. I, 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 some, some bad things are going to happen, and I need to pray first. So he withdrew. He said, you guys pray that you may not be tempted. And he withdrew about a stone's throw knelt down, he prayed, and he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include that episode. John doesn't include it at all. They, they all three say that, that when he got to the garden, he, he, he came away, he prayed, and his prayer was very specific. Father, I am not as a human all of that excited about the suffering that is on the horizon. 
I've seen people nailed to crosses. It's very common in, in Jerusalem. The Roman government was, was, it was fond of that, particularly with Christians. And I'm not, I, I'm not looking forward to that. I, I, the, the suffering, the trial, the crown of thorns, the beating, the, the scourge, I, the, those are all things that, humanly speaking, is there another way? He said, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, God, I am resolved. I am resigned. I know that this awaits. The point is that he's agonized in prayer, and all three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all talk about it. John talks about a different kind of prayer. He talks about the Lord's Supper ending, them leaving the upper room, the place where they were, and going towards the Mount of Olives and praying along the way. I personally believe he stopped at the temple because it was on the way. I, I think he stopped at the, this holy place and, and where, where so much uh, had been said, the holy of holies, the place where they thought God was. I think he stopped there and prayed. And if you look at John's version of it, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, and particularly in John 17, the whole chapter is a prayer. And he prayed for himself that he'd have strength to go through with the mission that God had given him. He prayed for the disciples that they would be protected. He prayed for all of the people who would ever be Christians. That's you. He, he prayed for you on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So prayer was the preface to the chaos. Prayer was the preface to the chaos. Before the event started, he knew he had to back away, center himself, get clear about what God was trying to tell him. Maybe that's a nugget for us. Most of the time, we know that chaos is on the horizon. Sometimes it hits us out of the blue. But a lot of the time we know that there's going to be a season, there's going to be some hard times. We know that cuts are coming at the job or that, that, that a, a divorce is coming in the family or that a diagnosis has been given by a doctor. We, we kind of know a lot of times that chaos is on the horizon. And on the way to the cross as a way of transformation, the Son of God says, why don't you think about just backing away and praying? Be honest with the Father I mean, this is such an honest prayer. God, I don't want to do this. It's pain. It's suffering. Unimaginable suffering for us. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. Nugget number one. Nugget number two. When you're looking for a fight. I love Mike Tyson's quote. Everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. If you think about Malchus, a little bit about him, he was a servant of the high priest. High priest was named Caiaphas. And the fact that he's named means that he was kind of important. You know, if you're, you're talking about that guy, you know, one of those guys, he was some soldier or something. No, they, he was known, right? 
His, his name was known. John, the, the guy who wrote this, wrote this four decades after all this happened. And he was known. He was remembered. John said it wasn't just any servant of the high priest. It was Malchus. It was that guy. It was his chief of staff. It was his, his, his mouthpiece. It was that, that, that guy. And, and likely as not, Caiaphas sent him to the garden for Jesus' arrest to make sure he had eyes and ears, to make sure that everything that was done, he, that, that Caiaphas knew about it. Because Caiaphas was eventually who they would bring Jesus to see. So Malchus was known. He was part of the opposition. He was part of the group of people that ridiculed Jesus, that thought he was an imposter, that, that, that thought that he, he was just trying to, to, to destroy the Jewish faith, that he was, he was no good, and he came looking for a fight. This is presupposition. He, he, he was wired to think that Jesus is a bad guy. This, this message that he is giving is a bad message. This, it's, it's up to no good. He came to the garden looking for a fight. And unfortunately, he found one. He found one. The story tells us that he was obviously right behind Judas because the Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, and all that means is that he identified the one that they were looking for, just in case they didn't get it with the questions, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. Judas said, yes, this is he, stepped forward, embraced his friend. Immediately, Peter pulled out a sword, so Malchus had to be right there. He had to be at the front of this little mob. And by the way, the mob may not have been that little. Depending on the, how you interpret the language here in the Scripture, it could have been anywhere from 30 or 40 people to up to 600 people. A mix of Roman soldiers and Jewish officials and temple guards who were Jewish, just people who don't want to miss anything, so they joined the little parade. So this, this mob is arresting Jesus and it happened so quickly. They're looking for a fight. Malchus steps forward. Peter pulls out a sword. It was, the, the word for sword there is not like a slicing sword. It's like a stabbing sword. So I think he meant to hit him over the head with it, and he just had bad aim. Ended up cutting his ear off. In a flash, Jesus, I don't know if he bent to the ground, picked up the ear and said, oh, you looks like you need this, put it back on his head, or if he just touched his head and everything healed up. But in Luke's version of the story, John doesn't give us this detail. In Luke's version of the story, as soon as Peter cut his ear off, Jesus put it back. And I'm just the sanctified imagination in me. You, you guys know that it's just comical sometimes. I'm trying to, to imagine Malchus going, what just happened? When he got home that night, there's nothing to make us believe that he didn't look at a bloody mess in the mirror. Because when you cut his ear off, I'm sure it spurted blood everywhere. And then when Jesus put it back, it healed it perfectly. So he's looking in the mirror, this matted mess of blood in his hair and stuff, and his ear is just fine. And, and for the rest of his life, every time that he combed his hair and looked at that right ear, he thought of this man who did something amazing that day. 
But here's the nugget. Too often, when people outside faith, they're far from God or they're trying, maybe that's you, maybe you're watching online, I don't know. And you're, you're trying to understand what's happening in church. And somebody inside church attacks you. Somebody inside church uh, uh, moves towards you. This is the only miracle of Jesus that was in the context of violence. It was, it was the only one of any of the miracles. It could be that you brought something and somebody from the church said something insensitive. They did something insensitive. You felt dumb because you didn't know the answers to the questions. You don't know a lot of the Bible. And and somebody called on you to read or pray and you felt humiliated. Or maybe it was real hurt. Some, somebody, and that's not to say that's not real hurt, but, 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 but maybe it was hurt at another level where, where a pastor or a deacon or a, a Sunday school teacher or somebody, somebody really hurt you. We have way too many instances where that's the case. And so the nugget is that this happens. And we who are church people, we who are people of faith, we, we should learn from what Peter did and make sure we don't do that, that when somebody comes looking for a fight, we don't have to give it to them. We, we don't have to be the one that, 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 that responds to ridicule with ridicule, responds to hate with hate, responds to, to violence with violence. Which brings us to the last nugget. Malchus still got healed. <laughs> he, he still got a touch, and now he's trying to figure out what to do with it. Didn't have an ear. Now I have an ear. Started out the day with two ears, went through part of the day with one ear. Now I have two ears again. I have been touched by this rabbi that I came looking to hate. I came wanting to dislike him. I came wanting for him to be on the other team. I'm team Caiaphas. He's team Jesus. Not sure I'm going to like him at all. And Jesus healed him. Again, the nugget. A lot of us came with skepticism. We Maybe with atheism. Maybe we came looking for a fight. And instead of somebody responding in kind, we felt a touch. We felt a, 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 somebody reached out to us. I've told you my story before. My older sister and I rode a bus to Sunday school, and all we found was a tiny church in Richardson, Texas, full of people who loved us even though we didn't know the vocabulary. We'd never been to vacation Bible school or camp or, or sang on the stage in children's choir. We, we didn't know any of that, and they just loved us. And whatever it was that I was looking for when I got off that bus, all I found was a touch of healing. All I found was a touch of acceptance. And maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe instead of, of somebody, you looking for a fight and them responding, you, you just found love and it's confusing. Well, here's the really sad part of the story. 
We don't know anything else about Malchus other than this story. He's not mentioned ever again in the Bible. He's not mentioned ever in church history. Certainly, John, who wrote this at least 40 years after it happened, certainly if he had become a, a, a leader in the church, a deacon or, a, or, or a, a pastor or a disciple, if he'd have become something, maybe wouldn't John have put a footnote about it in here? But all John does is let his name get mentioned one time and pass from history. And the only conclusion I can come to is that he went right back to where he was. And that to me is so sad. He was touched. He was in the presence of God in flesh. He received healing. He received compassion. He received grace. And yet at the end of the story, apparently he resumed his job as the servant of the high priest. He made sure Jesus was in shackles. And he and all those soldiers led Jesus to be tried and crucified. We have no knowledge that he ever did anything with it. He was touched. He wasn't transformed. So the nuggets, praying in chaos. The, the nuggets, when you come looking for a fight. The nuggets, when somebody else comes looking for a fight, do we need to respond in kind? But maybe the biggest nugget of all, when there is a stirring in your spirit, not if, there will be. When there is a stirring in your spirit that you just feel like God has, has, has reached down. Robert said something about it a minute ago that when you see all these little cherubs singing and, and God touches something in your spirit and you go, maybe there's something to this life of faith. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe you felt comfort when somebody passed away. Maybe you got a sense of an answer to a prayer and, and that job came through or that relationship healed. Whatever it was, you had a sense that God had worked in your life. And now there's kind of a choice moment. Are you going to lay down and go, I guess that was a bad burrito? Or are you going to go, I need to chase that down? He restored my hearing. He restored my sight. He restored my faith. He restored my family. I, I, I knew that God was moving. I knew that there was a time. I knew that there was a place. I was touched. Was I transformed? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a second? I wonder if you or someone you know needs to be transformed by God's touch. Leave behind a life of opposition. Stop fighting you, somebody you know. Slip a paper that's in your seat, the pink one. I'd love for you to write your own name or the name of somebody else. Initials, if you want to do it in code. You see the yellow ones that we've put on the cross. That was your prayers from last week. There were hundreds of them. Our intercessory prayer ministry is praying for every word that's on these cards, every name. 
But if it's you who came in opposition today, watching online, in the room, if it's you that has this sense of skepticism, man, woman, teenager, child, if it's you that feels far from God, and something in this, these words, this scripture, these songs, these children, if something in the room has said to you that God is at work, you know God is at work, and he's asking you to begin a conversation, would you write your own name on the card and some way for me to contact you, an email address, a phone number? Maybe you're saying to God, God, I need you. My, my life's a mess. My, the chaos that he talked about all over it. I'm praying now. W- would you let me know and let me call you? Let me follow that up. Let me email you. Let's start a conversation about what God is doing in your life. Would you just do your own name on the card? And some way I can get in touch with you. And I'll follow that up in the week. Father, you bring transformation out of chaos. It's hard to read of somebody who was touched by you but not transformed by you. We know that you offer that transformation. We know that our transformation is by the renewing of our mind by the daily walk with you, the habits that make us, keep us free. So Father, I pray for the people who are in this room, the people who are watching online, that this would be a day when they yield themselves to transformation. They know that your spirit has touched them and they're giving their lives for transformation. If you wanna bring your card up during this song that we're about to sing, then do so. If not, there are baskets in the lobby as well. God, we pray that you would act, that we would respond laying down our opposition and coming to you. We love you, Father. We thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus.